0: حديث number 32 عن ابي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه قال لا ضرر ولا ضرار لا ضرر ولا ضرار حديث حسن رواه ابن ماجه والدارقطني وغيرهما مسندا رواه مالك في الموطا عمر ان عمرو بن عن عمرو بن يحيى عن عن ابيه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم مرسلا فاسقط ابا سعيد وله تركون يقوي بعضها بعضا so what does this hadith mean? Abu Sa'id al Khudri ibn Sinan, that's his father's name, radiAllahu uh, anhu relates that the Prophet sallallahu said, "There should be no harming, no reciprocating harm. Essentially, there should be no harm. This is the hadith that is banning harm, that is frowning upon harm in any way whatsoever. So, what's the difference between darar and dirar? If you look at the two words, darar and dirar, there's only one letter difference, which is that there's an alif in the second one. Dirar and darar. So essentially, in Arabic, the root is the same, darar, which means harm. There should be no darar, which is transitive, right? You should not harm anybody in whatever state. And dirar, essentially, according to this, just means there should be no mutual harming, which means that even if somebody harms you, you should not reciprocate with harm. So the first one includes that, that's just an additional qualification of it So you should not harm anybody, whether they've harmed you first or not You should not harm anybody That's what this hadith is saying, in in general Now, according to Imam Abu Dawood He says, these are, if you look at all the hadith, just like the previous one uh, Was one of the fundamentals of Islam He said, this one is actually one of the fundamental maxims of Islamic jurisprudence In Islamic jurisprudence, we actually study this as a principle of governing rulings, right? So it's a principle which governs many rulings. Uh, All the principles that you find in jurisprudence, in Islamic jurisprudence, some of them are directly from the Qur'an Sunnah. And this is one of them. This is a very strong principle because it's directly related like that in the hadith. The Prophet related it as a principle. Imam Abu Dawood says innahu min al-ahadith al fiqh basically revolves around this jurisprudence revolves around this this is a major principle uh, some scholars say that darar and dirar they mean the same thing it's just emphasis one has been said as emphasizing the other but actually there is a subtle difference as i explained because dirar comes from the verb in arabic the verb form in arabic which talks about mutually doing something it means that you've been harmed by somebody else can i reciprocate with harm no, you can't And the first one is just like You can't harm anybody anyway So A few things now If you can't harm anybody Can then somebody jump to a conclusion from this That in Islam you have these laws of Qisas, right? Of an eye for an eye and so on As the, as the, Jew, as the Jews had as well in the, From the Torah, the Old Testament So uh, uh, what about that? Isn't that harming somebody? What about penalizing somebody? What about punishing somebody? So for example, if, I, if you get a ticket for driving too fast or going through a red light, aren't you being harmed? Because you got a ticket, you have to pay maybe a hundred pound or something and then you get three points and thus your insurance goes up. That's a huge harm, isn't it? Right? Are you allowed to do that? Can you confiscate things of people that's harming them? So, of course, all of those things will be accept, exempted because they are necessary for a different reason. In fact, if you didn't do that, that would be a greater harm. So this principle actually subsumes a number of other principles that if there's two harms then it's not like okay you can't do any of them because they must one must be done so then you choose the lesser harm right then there are other uh, uh, th- there are other challenging issues such as there's a particular harm to an individual but if you do not penalize that particular individual for what they're doing maybe confiscate a certain amount of property from them it's actually going to cause for example, let's just say that somebody's got a wall, right, and it is, uh, councils actually, a lot of the laws of the, your local council relate to this, right, a lot of them are the same. So you've got a wall which is, could topple over because it's not firmly built and it's, it, it could affect passers-by. Passers-by are the, 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 the general folk. That's your ownership. So at the end of the day, if you've got your own possession, you should be able to do what you want with it. I can't force you to take it down. But the council has the right to force you to take that down because it could create a greater harm for the people in general. So there, you are being harmed, but that's because to save people from a greater harm or to save more people. Right? So um, harm has to be put into perspective, essentially. Number two, if the Prophet ﷺ is saying this, Right? And you look at his deen If he's the one who's Essentially Decreeing this idea Then it means that our sharia If you look at it Also does the same thing Because this is a principle of the faith So what this denotes is that the entire sharia of Islam right, Our Islamic law Is actually based upon this So I'll give you uh, some examples Right. So for example We have A any of the rulings of Islam can never be harmful to you, because it's in there is assumed your welfare, our welfare. Because there can't be harm in following any of the commands of Islam properly. Yes, when you have, when you don't do it properly, They there could be harm. Right? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Qul amar rabbi bil Qist." Say that my Lord commands to justice, justice. Does not provide harm, does not lead to harm قُلْ إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ رَبِّيَ الْفَوَاحِشْ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنَ Which again supports this idea Say that my Lord has made unlawful all immoral things That which are apparent, those which are apparent and those which are hidden Everything immoral is prohibited That supports this idea that there is no harmful religious law as such and then number three, since they can't be harmed, that's why in our Sharia we've got this system of discretion built in, where you can't do something in the optimal way, because you have an excuse, you're allowed to use the discretion. So some of the, uh, some, some of the verses, جَعْلَ مَا جَعْلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ Allah has not... Provided you difficulty or imposed on you difficulty through the deen That's not the objective of Allah That's not the purpose of the deen And then the more famous verse, well-known one, more explicit لا الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Allah does not Allah does not make anybody responsible for what they physically cannot do For example, Allah will never tell a blind man that you must look Because that's impossible for them That means Anything that is legislated, like five daily prayers, it's within our ability. It's within our ability. An 18-hour fast, or even a 20-hour fast, even children do it. And if you have an experience that you think is difficult. So, you know, our fast is getting easier now, but for the last five, six years, they were, especially if you followed the earlier suhoor time, it was about 20 hours. Right? It was about 20 hours, right? For the last few years. And if you go to Norway and so on, it's about 22 hours. My six-year-old kid kept a few of them at that age Then I went to South Africa And the scholars there were telling me that Don't you guys have a discretion 22 hours, 20 hours, 20 hours How did you do that? And I said like my kid is doing it My 10-year-old kid is doing it So when you don't experience it You think it's too difficult But Allah actually gives human ability How many disabled children do you see And their parents are actually looking after them And you look and you think How can they provide so much care for their child? and yet mashallah allah makes it easy for them to do that so allah will never place upon you a burden that you cannot bear as a responsibility right that you will be rewarded for doing it and if you don't you'll be punished so it can't be a legal responsibility essentially and then we have numerous examples of that if you can't stand and pray you sit that's where you get, you get the concept of takhfif in sharia from right of lightening the burden discretion so if you can't stand and pray, you sit. If you can't use water, you make tayammum, right? the dry ablution. Um, if you are traveling and you think you're unable to fast, then you forgo the fast and you make it up later. All of that comes under this narration, this principle, that Allah doesn't want harm for you. And he's, the Prophet ﷺ is mentioning that as a principle, so how can the deen have harm? And say, no, you're forced to fast even if you find it difficult to do so. Likewise for a person who is sick They don't have to fast They can fast later on In a smaller day In a, uh, in a shorter day And if they're going to be uh, Not well for the rest of their life And they can't physically fast For the rest of their life Then they're able to pay it off And if they don't have the money Well then maybe Allah you know, Then Allah is forgiving inshallah There's new, numerous things like that uh, Another thing The Sharia has essentially prohibited from uh, Numerous Transactions which are considered to be inherently harmful For example, one of the reasons why interest and usury is haram And is unlawful Is because it's harmful And it leads to, to harm And how many people lose their possessions? How many people lose their assets? And the money always travels up in these things It never travels down right? It always travels up to the executives and so on And they get bailed out right? For example, it's not allowed For a person on their deathbed for example Or or even before their death To give away most of their wealth Or a lot of their wealth In order to deprive their children Or to give more to a certain child In an unfair way Somebody came to the Prophet And he said I want you to bear witness That I've given this son of mine This amount, these assets as a gift So the Prophet said Hold on Have you given that to your other children as well? He said no He said then how can you make me Witness to something which is unfair right? Now I do want to clarify that if you're a parent And you've got several children And there's somebody who's very poor And you give them something And the others are well off Then that's understandable So it's not like hard and fast rule That you must give each one exactly the same all the time There could be valid considerations there But if you do it to deprive the others That's a problem right? In, in general I mean In general Yes so, you can see this particular ruling, a principle of the hadith, permeate pretty much everything. Let's go into husband wife relationships. So, for example, it is as Allah says in the Quran, فَأَمْسِكُوهُنَّ If you've got a problem with your spouse, now the man has the control of the, the divorce, right? He's got the discretion for the divorce. So, now he doesn't use that discretion. What he does is, it's, it, the, the marriage is irretrievably broken down. But he, does, he should just divorce. So Allah says, Right? Just let them go nicely, in a beautiful way, just separate. And if they do separate, Allah will enrich each one through His grace, through His vastness. So think about that and do that. I've run into a number of cases where the husband is unwilling to divorce, even though it's irretrievably broken down. Now, the problem is in there is that he's not harmed because he can actually have more than one wife, technically speaking so he could marry again and not have anything to do with this first wife but she's still in his nikah which means that she can't move on and they can't be reconciled that's punishment and that's not allowed likewise what some people do is that they finally give a divorce an explicit divorce and then she has to go in idda for three, three menstrual periods and he has the right to take her back within that period. And if he, if that period elapses, then then she's independent. What he does is they, they wait right until the end. Maybe I shouldn't even say this because I don't want to give people ideas, right? And they take him back on the last day. So they're like in proper limbo, and that's all prohibited. That's la darar dirar. That's what the Prophet is saying, right? And there's numerous other things. For example, um, when it comes to. Uh, Pretty much everything. That's the, 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 the laws of Islam. This principle governs a lot of those laws of, uh, laws of Islam. Likewise, for example, when it comes to issues with uh, permits for extension building and so on, you're not allowed to, for example, build an extension high enough that it actually blocks fresh air from your neighbor or the light from your neighbor. But the council will tell you the same thing, I guess. Right? So a lot of these laws are built in. It's just common sense laws, all of them. A lot of them are common sense. Likewise, it's actually not permitted to build a higher uh, uh, a higher extension in a way that it overlooks your neighbor's private area. Now, in England, that's not such a big deal. In some cases, it is that you're not allowed to have a. I mean, you should know this, terms, right? You're not allowed to have a window in certain sides of the building or something, right? You can only open them in certain sides and whatever, but. Where the concept of uh, hijab is even more like in places like Morocco, Muslim countries, this is very important. So he actually says that men should not be on the roof of the house because they can overlook into the private courtyard of the next house. Because in these hot countries, they have courtyards that are in the middle of the, their riad as such. Right? And the only person that can look in there is people. So they say what happens in Syria, for example, is that they should keep pigeons on their roof. And they say the reason why you shouldn't be doing that is because then husbands go up there or men go up there, so, and then the women in adjoining houses feel vulnerable that they can't go out and relax. Right? So all of that is governed in those kind of situations. Likewise, your neighbor, La ضرر An amazing story is mentioned, uh, I just read it yesterday. It says that there's a, pa- a person who's complaining of a huge amount of mice in his house. So then somebody said to him, it's a, simple, it's a simple solution, he goes, get a cat So you know what he said? His focus is so much on the sharia and so on He said, the only problem with that, he said, if I get a cat, the mice are going to get scared, they're going to find out Then they're going to run into the neighbor's house So then my neighbors are going to have the, have the mice Subhanallah He'd rather bear that for himself than harm his neighbor if only that all of us could be like that And if... Now the Sharia doesn't tell you you can't get a cat in it This was his personal perspective Because at the end of the day sometimes you do have to do things But you try to do it in a way that you don't send everything that side Right, to next door And in our Sharia, if you look, read our fiqh Actually it goes down to such a level Let's just say that <clears throat> we both own something or let, Let's take an example of a market Right, or a, a parade of shops and the majority of them, or uh, an apartment, right? A, a group of apartments, the majority decide that they need to have security. And you're like, I don't need my security because you know, I got my own security. Can they force you to pay for everybody's, you know, as into that common pot of security? And they said, yes, they can. If the majority agree to something there, while it's actually going to cause you harm, but this is actually for the benefit of others, for everybody else And the majority actually have a, have a part to play here So it gets very deep And this is what the muftis deal with, these kind of questions <clears throat> So can you imagine it? A simple principle like that made up of two words Because la is just a negating term Darar and dirar. La darar wa la dirar Essentially is so helpful And it governs so many laws in Islam Social laws, right? Personal interaction laws Building laws And numerous other laws And that, that was in brief May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from harming others <clears throat> And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, Protect us from being harmed by others F- Final thing is One of the laws that comes from this is That's a very important one You know when you've got this thing that Okay if I do this I'll get a bit of benefit I'll get some benefit But then some small amount of harm will also be entailed Are you allowed to do that? So the general default principle in that case is It's better to repel the harm than to bring the benefit. So let's just say that a masjid decides that We don't have too many youth coming in So let's have a concert Now concerts are problematic right? But it's going to attract people Now the churches have been doing this But really it hasn't given them any kind of sustainability People come for that but then there's other places where you get better concerts So why should they come to the church? It's actually just distilled everything So there, the harm that's entailed Because of the unlawfulness of what will be committed there right, Does not justify the ends This is where there's a huge amount of confusion right? We come up with creative ways sometimes Which sometimes include problematic components Because we want, uh, basically shaitan puts it in our mind sometimes That the end will justify it So that has to be looked at very carefully because the default regulation there is that it's actually superior or necessary to repel the harm than to than to invoke the benefits. So let's leave it there. I'll leave it. uh, If you have any questions, then I, I I can leave it to that.